and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Uh, When Kurt and I talked about this three-week interlude from the uh, book of Revelation, uh, we talked about, okay, what can we teach that kind of fits right in? Because Revelation is, uh, you're about to enter the the part that describes the world just before Jesus comes and uh, uh, chaos like we've never seen. I mean, evil is revealed as being really, really, evil. Uh, But many, many people come to Christ at that time. Um, But you've got to admit that our world's a little crazy as well, right? Uh, And we talked about, okay, what could we study that will emphasize how to walk as a believer as the world goes crazy around us? And 2 Peter fits the time frame. Now, we're moving right out because we're covering a chapter a week. That's an awful lot, so kind of hold on. And uh, it's something that you would want to revisit during the week because, admittedly, it is pretty fast. But uh, it, it really applies to our world. Um, As I was putting this together, I was thinking of, um, we have three grown daughters, and when they were teenagers in high school and then in college, um, and their abilities in satire and sarcasm were developing... Right? And the normal uh, subject of those abilities is mom and dad, right? So a little distraction. I mean, you look for any distraction. And uh, one that we found was when we went grocery shopping, you have to go buy those ridiculous tabloids, right? And uh, we would just laugh. We'd, we, you know, we'd tell about the most ridiculous one we saw, and we'd make up headlines of our own. And I, I thought, what is the most ridiculous? tabloid headline I ever saw. And I immediately thought of the Bat Baby. And, and then I thought, if I Googled the Bat Baby, would I find it? And there it is. Okay, It was some ridiculous story about scientists found this baby underground and it was half bat. And, you know, Photoshop was in its infancy, right? Uh, <laughs> but it, it's so ridiculous. We just laughed. But today it's not so funny, right? Because you would think that with communication uh, increasing, that there would be greater clarity. It's not working out that way, right? The misinformation and disinformation, and it, it seems that a hallmark of our moment in time is confusion about what is true, and what is false. And that's what the Apostle Peter addresses. You see, his world was going crazy when he wrote this. Uh, He wrote this somewhere in A.D. 64 to 67 uh, when he was in prison. 
in Rome. Now, how he ended up in Rome and in prison, we don't know. We don't know like we, we have the history uh, recorded about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. But Peter ended up in prison. And not long after he wrote this letter, he was executed. The context, the kind of the, the what really got things going sideways in their world was in A.D. 54, uh, Nero became emperor of Rome. And on July 19th, A.D. 64, a fire broke out in Rome in the Circus Maximus area of Rome and it burned for six days, destroying 75% of the city. Nero needed a scapegoat and Christians were that scapegoat. And persecution under Nero began in earnest. The apostle Peter was executed as part of that persecution. And not long after that, the apostle Paul as well. And so here, if you were a believer in the AD 60s, you would say your world was going crazy after this time of, of just incredible growth of the church and spread of the gospel and miracles and and fellowship and rejoicing. Now there's persecution and you got to go in hiding and leaders are being killed. And so how do we live? And Peter knew that his time was short. When he wrote this, this letter, he knew he didn't have long. And so he, he really has a heart to share with those who would follow. And that includes us. How do you live in a world that is going crazy? And he speaks about, uh, as Kurt taught last week, we rely on the Holy Spirit's strength as believers. Uh, we have been given everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness. And, and Peter just keeps saying, remember this. Uh, and then, as you remember, make every effort. We can't be passive about our walk with Jesus. We can't think, okay, I'm, I want to really grow in my walk with the Lord, but just sit on the couch spiritually and do nothing. It's not going to happen that way. J.J. Uh, Ply, many of you know him. He grew up in this church. Uh, he is now a nationally ranked decathlete. He did not get to that place by sitting on the couch. Okay? And it's the same. If we want to grow as Christians, uh, Peter says, make every effort to do so. Now that doesn't mean rely on our own strength. Of course we rely on the Holy Spirit's strength. But that is what we've, we've got to, uh, you know, put some skin in the game. We've got to be serious about it. And he reminds us in, in verse 19 of chapter 1 that we have the word. God's word made even more sure because all of these prophecies about Jesus have been fulfilled. You've seen them. They were just fulfilled before your very eyes. And he says, you've got the word. Pay attention to it. And then in chapter 3, he begins that chapter by saying, remember the word. And in between is this chapter, chapter 2, which is the, one of the longest uh, treatments of false teaching in the Bible. Because even in his day, there was false teaching creeping into the church already. And um, 
So we, we need to be discerning. That doesn't mean we need to be paranoid. Doesn't mean we need to, you know, go off in our little fortress or cluster and, and just not have anything to do with the world. We need to be discerning to develop, with God's help, the ability to tell the difference between spiritual truth and falsehood. And that's what this passage is all about. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we're just so thankful for the complete change that you bring about in our life when we trust in you. Uh, you bring us literally from spiritual death to spiritual life. And discernment is part of what you supply for us so that we can live and not, so that we can know error by, uh, by recognizing it rather than following it. And I pray that that would be the result of looking at this passage today, that we would be encouraged to just dig into your word and then to put it into action in our lives and as a church. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Peter begins chapter 2 with a warning about false teachers. He draws a little sketch of what they look like. Uh, and then uh, he uses three examples from the Old Testament to encourage us that God will protect those who trust him and will punish wickedness in the end. And then he revisits the trait of false teachers in a really unique way. Uh, he does so twice in, in the course of, of this uh, message, in the course of this chapter. And he does it in a very Jewish way. That is, uh, even though the Apostle Paul was a, uh, a Jewish scholar, he thought in a very uh, Greco-Roman way. He had a very linear way of thinking. Uh, a plus B equals C. It's kind of the way we think. Right? But the Apostle Peter writes in a very Jewish way. It, that is, he reflects on, on something and, and meditates on it and he shares additional insight. It's like, here, here's something else that I thought of about this. Oh, by the way, here's another thought. It's not, you know, a... a um, linear type of thinking and that might be confusing to us because that's the way we think, right? But once you recognize it, it makes sense. So uh, let's take a look at the first three verses. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their unrestrained ways and the way of truth will be blasphemed because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with deceptive words. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle and their destruction does not sleep. Serious stuff. Um, there were also false prophets among the people. Um, Peter says that among the nation of Israel, as you read the Old Testament, you will see false prophets pop up throughout their history. And uh, several examples for you to study on your own appear in your handout. Uh, now, 
Peter draws for us, he's almost like a police artist who draws a composite sketch. He draws a composite sketch of false teachers throughout the ages. And uh, we can, we're to recognize, we're to discern what they look like rather than follow them, right? And one of their traits is they are going to bring into the church destructive heresies. Now that word heresy is interesting because the meaning changes as the New Testament is written. Here's what I mean. The, the word heresy, and that's the Greek word, means to choose something. And it became, it, it was used for a group of people who have chosen to believe the same thing, like a group or a sect. Uh, in the book of Acts, the word heresy is used to describe Pharisees, Sadducees, and even Christians. Okay, it just means this group all believe the same thing. Over time, as the New Testament is written, heresy then uh, came to mean divisions. Divisions caused by groups uh, where, where one group says, I'm right and you're wrong because I'm always right, right? And you're always wrong. That desire of the flesh to be right and to divide from other people is called divisions. And uh, the word heresy is used in Galatians 5 for that desire of the flesh. The way that it's used here by Peter moves it into its more modern use. And here's how we might define heresy. A teaching about Jesus not originating from God, but from a person's own thinking motivated by strong desires of the flesh and manipulated by spiritual deception. Wow. Now, unfortunately, according to verses 2 and 3, false teachers are successful many times in gathering a following uh, because they're persuasive. Uh, their behavior is marked by a lack of restraint in fleshly appetites. Uh, and because of that immoral, greedy, exploitive behavior, the entire gospel is blasphemed. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? We could easily think of groups or teachers who have used their position of spiritual leadership for material gain. We can easily recall people who have exploited others that were under their spiritual leadership, the most common way being sexual abuse. And their behavior causes many to discredit the gospel or even to turn away from it altogether. Now, while false teachers may be temporarily successful, they will ultimately stand before Jesus and answer for their teaching and behavior. That's a scary thing. Now, there are two areas, two big predictable areas where biblical truth is twisted. Peter uses that term next week. Uh, and, and, they, and they occur in two predictable ways. The first is the person of Jesus. People often uh, become really confused about who Jesus is. Rather than accepting that he is fully God and fully man who chose to become incarnate, 
so that he could live a perfect life and then die for our sins in our place as our perfect substitute. Instead, Jesus is an angel or a man who has achieved godlike status and we can do the same thing. <coughs> or a good example. Uh, and, and all of these are false teachings that are out there. And you may have uh, encountered them. Another thing that is commonly misunderstood is the way of salvation or the need for salvation at all. Uh, faith in Jesus alone and his death uh, as our perfect substitute and, and uh, being raised from the dead to give us new life, that is enough. That isn't it. No, we can, we can earn our own way. By our own works. Or uh, salvation isn't needed because all roads need, lead to God. And there's two common ways that these false beliefs are expressed. Legalism and license. Legalism is, okay, you've got to work You've got to work. Now, that isn't making every effort. It's by your own efforts, you are saved. And you've got to follow my list of rooms, rules, and I'll be the judge, thank you very much, as to how you are doing on those list of rules. And I'll control you and manipulate you and maybe take advantage of you, too. If you're a part of my little group, that's legalism. License is, what flavor of sin do you like? Go ahead and practice it. There is no life change needed to believe in Jesus. And uh, we, can, we can easily recognize both of them. And that's the ability that God wants us to develop is the ability to discern rather than follow these false teachings. Now, Paul addresses legalism in his letters extensively. Peter takes on uh, license uh, along with Jude, who is Jesus' half-brother in his short letter. Let's uh, read some unlikely encouragement in verses 4 through 10. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but threw them down into Tartarus and delivered them to be kept in chains of darkness until judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, when he brought a flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to ruin, making them an example to those who were going to be ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the unrestrained behavior of the immoral, for as he lived among them, that righteous man tormented himself day by day with the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. And we'll stop right in the middle of verse 10 right there. It's really discouraging, isn't it, to see evil flourish and seemingly go unpunished 
uh, unpunished. It's, it's painful. It's painful to watch what's happening to the civilians in Ukraine. You know, it just makes your blood boil. It breaks our heart to see people who just went to the grocery store or to church or to school gunned down. It's just awful. And, uh, but Peter reminds us none of those things escape God's notice. And he will judge evil. And he uses these three examples. Now, the, the angels, <laughs> they're the only ones that don't have the opportunity to repent because they knew God. They saw him face to face when they decided to rebel. And Peter said that they are kept in this place called Tartarus. Now, Tartarus in Greek, uh, in the Greek way of thinking, was the lowest part of the underworld where the gods kept their enemies. And uh, in Revelation, the Apostle John refers to a place called the bottomless pit, where angels who rebelled, where many of them are kept right now until the day of judgment. As we'll see in Revelation, some are released from there. Um, it's the same place. Okay? Uh, the idea that they're going to be judged for evil. The thread throughout the example of Noah and Lot is that God extends, it's a sub-theme through the whole book, is that God extends the opportunity to repent over and over and over and over again until judgment is inevitable. Okay? In fact, we find out next week that's one reason why judgment is delayed. Um, God judged the entire world because in Genesis 6 it says all the thoughts of man were evil constantly. Again, that sounds kind of familiar. Uh, but he... he um, saved Noah and his family and for 120 years as he built that ark and people had never seen rain and they're going what? Uh, they had the opportunity to hear about God and repent. And then Lot who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah uh, he was an example to the people if they wanted to hear and, and he was so distressed by what was happening all around him. It, 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 was, it was horrible to him. And the point is that God will rescue those who trust in him no matter what we go through and he will punish evil. Judgment will happen, even though it's delayed. Now, verse 11 through 16, it's, uh, uh, Peter reflects on these false teachers and he shares some additional insights for, uh, with us. Bold, arrogant people, they do not tremble when they blaspheme the glorious ones or angels. However, angels who are greater in might and power don't bring a slanderous charge against them before the Lord. But these people, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, speak blasphemies uh, about things that they don't understand. And in their destruction, they too will be destroyed, suffering harm as a payment for unrighteousness. 
They consider it a pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, delighting in their deceptions as they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery and are always looking for sin. They seduce unstable people and have hearts trained in greed, children under a curse. They have gone astray by abandoning the straight path and have followed the path of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but received a rebuke for his transgression. A donkey that could not talk spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's irrationality. Now, deception is one key method of these false teachers. They look like they care about Jesus and other people, but really their concern is for themselves and what they can take from others. And their motive, see, God is the one that judges motive, but here the Holy Spirit shows us through the Apostle Peter that their motive is the polluting desires of the flesh. And uh, Peter uses that word twice, polluting. And that's the impact when we take any of those strong desires of our flesh and we've all got them, right? And if we put that desire on in the place of God and we start to serve that, it's like toxic waste in our life. It will affect our thinking and our behavior and lead us away from God. And we're going to uh, have communion in, in just a short while. And, and this is a good time to begin to reflect. Lord, show me. Show me any areas that I am, where I'm serving myself rather than you. And the solution is the same. Repent. Turn. And, you know, run. <laughs> These um, false teachers are also self-styled authorities. They, they speak arrogantly and ignorantly uh, about all kinds of things. And uh, their speech, is, according to verse 11, it is toxic and is judgmental. They go to places that even angels wouldn't go to. Um, the Apostle Jude, when he was in his short letter, talks about this, this um, event that happened where the Archangel Michael was in a dispute with Satan over the body of Moses. And he wouldn't even rebuke Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you. And in contrast, these false teachers, are, they, they, don't, they don't care. They'll speak evil of anybody. Uh, they act in a predatory manner like animals. And it reminded me of when we lived on the Oregon coast, we had several friends who were ranchers. And um, one of them, uh, this, this gal was uh, a teacher and a rancher, and her son was a pharmacist, and they ran uh, a lot of sheep. And I, I saw them one day, and, it, and they were obviously upset. And talking with them, uh, it turns out that three formerly domesticated dogs formed a pack and got in with their sheep and killed 90 of them overnight. Now, obviously, they weren't killing uh, because they were hungry. They were killing simply for the fun 
of destruction. And that's what Peter is talking about. Unfortunately, uh, creation has been affected by our sin. Right? And it mirrors uh, some, of the, uh, some of our bad behavior. And he's saying that false prophets behave in a predatory manner, just like animals who have become destructive. And their destructive behavior will lead to their own destruction. It's, it's, a, it's a fearful thing for anyone to turn away from God's grace and people who do that set themselves up to, to face God and account for their behavior with only themselves as their resource rather than Jesus as their advocate and savior. Now, spots and blemishes in verse 13 would render any sacrifice unacceptable. And those of you that have teenagers know that if a spot or blemish appears on, on your teen's face, it is a matter of worldwide catastrophe, which involves hours, hours of, of, of corrective measures, right? Uh, but these, these false teachers had spiritual blemishes, and they weren't even aware of them. And they used fellowship, gathering together with believers as a chance for them to continue their predatory behavior. Uh, eyes full of adultery in verse 14. All women are viewed as sexual prey. Now, men... Unless you're dealing with some hormonal issue, it, there's a chance that you'd struggle with sexual temptation. Okay? And when, of some type, and when we see issues that we deal with in this composite sketch, it isn't saying you're lost. It's saying run! Get away from that behavior. And it's not who you are. It isn't who Jesus has made us. And instead, rely on the Holy Spirit's strength to live differently. They have gone astray by abandoning the straight path. And here's another theme that Peter brings out. Is these false teachers know the gospel. They just haven't believed. They know the truth, but they haven't believed, which is probably the biggest tragedy ever, right? And uh, uh, Jude speaks of this very, very clearly. I need to read you this passage from Jude 1, verses 17 through 19. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end time there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are unbelievers not having the spirit. That's the issue. It's not that they're being saved and lost and saved and lost. They were never saved. They never believed. And that's so important is that we, we not only need to understand the good news of Jesus Christ, we need to believe personally. And when that happens, he changes us from the inside out. Now, of course, as believers, we still sin. We still struggle. We are still in these unredeemed bodies where those sinful impulses come. And until our bodies die, we are going to struggle. 
we just have to realize we need to make every effort to depend on the Holy Spirit's strength. That's our only hope. The epitaph of many a pastor, many a strong Christian ministry leader, the epitaph on their ministry reads, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. Said with an air of self-assurance, right? I've been Christian long enough. I know how to walk. I, I've got this down. I've got, you know, I can depend on myself. I've got it. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. We never, never, never leave that place of dependence on God, the Holy Spirit. And we need to remember and be reminded of that. They followed the path of Balaam. Now, Balaam is uh, an interesting, somewhat complex uh, uh, figure. Uh, he wasn't a Jew. He, he lived in Assyria near the river Euphrates. You can, you can read his story in Numbers 22 through 24. But he was a prophet for hire. Now, prophets would be hired by whoever paid for them in order to pronounce a prophecy on somebody and change the course of events. Uh, what they were expected to do is similar to what we would see voodoo or witchcraft today. They were supposed to change the course of events. And Balaam's error, now of course, you read the story and he, he was hired to curse Israel and he couldn't. God wouldn't allow him to do it. His error was thinking that he could manipulate God. Because he was paid and, by, and tell God what to do. That's not the way it works. Verses 17 through 22. Peter's kind of final reflection on these false teachers. These people are springs without water. Misdriven by a whirlwind. The gloom of darkness has been reserved for them. For by uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. For if, having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated, the last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, having known it, to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow, after washing itself, wallows in the mud. Pretty vivid uh, imagery there. Um, as Peter revisits the tra traits of false teachers, he, he reflects on their enslavement and their certain judgment unless they repent. He says, they're, they're springs without water. They're, they're misdriven like a whirlwind. It's, it's kind of like, you know, what we think are thunderstorms here. You know, there's lightning, there's clouds, the verga falls, but it, moisture never makes it to the ground. They make all these promises, but there's nothing there. They, they are teaching empty words. Their teaching is devoid of life. And if they reflected on it, they would see that. 
The gloom of darkness has been reserved for him. It's a serious, serious thing to mislead people in the name of Jesus. There's nothing more serious. Eternal condemnation is often mistakenly imagined as a party. I'm sure you've heard someone say, ah, I'll party with all my friends in hell. It's not the picture scripture gives. It's portrayed here as the gloom of darkness. Eternal separation from God is separation from light and life and everything good. We've all been alone in the darkness and it's scary. It's very, very unsettling. It's certainly no way anyone would want to spend eternity, but that's the choice that people are making if they don't believe in Jesus. And again, the message is repent, turn, turn to him and believe. Um, so in verse 18, their, their, their words are empty. They're devoid of life. They're devoid of power as well. Uh, and instead, they lead to enslavement. Instead of freedom, they lead to enslavement because false teachers are enslaved themselves to the sins that dominate their lives. And... Um, Verse 20, this is really important. It is not speaking of someone losing their salvation, okay? Uh, you, you can't lose, but you could never earn. You, you can't go, oh, I'm saved, and then I'm lost, and I'm saved, and I'm lost. Uh, you know, if that's, if that's what you're thinking, you might have to pray, well, Lord, uh, when I die, catch me on a good day, on a day when I know you, right? <laughs> you put it that way, it sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? Okay, when we are saved, we are saved forever. Because it's Jesus that's done it. The problem here is these people haven't believed. The person in verse 20, they, uh, they have heard of the gospel and they're starting to follow the good example of other believers. And by doing so, they're kind of escaping all that bad behavior. And, and uh, sooner or later, though, since there's been no change in their nature because they haven't believed in Jesus, they go back. Somehow they get turned around and they go back. And Peter says it's, that's worse than not knowing Jesus at all. And you go, why? Because they have cut themselves off from the only way of escape. They knew about the gospel. They understood the gospel, but they didn't believe the gospel. And for a person that does that, there's no hope. Because there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than Jesus. And these are some of the saddest verses in, in the Bible. Uh, to know the gospel and not believe. And the whole point is believe. That's the point, right? And uh, Peter uh, closes this time of reflection by quoting Proverbs 26, 11, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. Now, dogs naturally eat their own vomit. Pigs naturally roll in the mud. And those two animals Peter chose carefully because they were both considered unclean by a Jew. They are acting according to their nature. Only Jesus can change our 
nature so that we behave differently. And that's what we need. So, um, again, it's so important to realize that Jesus is God and man. He made the choice to become incarnate, to take on human form, to be born of a Virgin Mary, and God was his father. He lived a perfect life. Yes, he's a great example, but so much more than that. He died because he loves us so much. He died in our place as our perfect substitute on the cross. We could never pay for our sins ourselves. Jesus did it once and for all. By believing in him, you pass from death, from no relationship at all with God to life. Believe in Jesus. That's the point of this whole passage, okay? And, and recognize these, these false teachings about the person of Jesus and the way of salvation. Uh, we, we want to put what we see and hear and read to the test of Scripture. That's how we live in a world that's going crazy. And we need to remember who Jesus has made us and walk in his spirit's strength. The um, ushers are going to pass out uh, the, the elements as I pray, and then we're going to go into communion. Lord Jesus, uh, we are just so thankful for the complete change that you have done for each one of us by believing in you. I just pray that if there's anyone who has, has heard the gospel but hasn't believed, that you would just speak to their heart. I, I pray that if there are those who just struggle with sin, we all struggle with sin, that they would just realize who you've made them and rely on your Holy Spirit's strength. Thank you for this time of reminder of the price of our salvation. Thank you in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.